So the reading this afternoon comes from Genesis uh, chapters 46 and 47. So we're going to read two uh, sections uh, of the passage this afternoon. So the first is Genesis 46, verses 1 to 27, which is on page 51 of the Church Bibles. So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons, and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. These are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his descendants, who went to Egypt. Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, the sons of Reuben, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Er and Onan had died in the land of Canaan, the sons of Perez, Hezron, and Hamul, the sons of Issachar, Tola, Pua, Jashub, and Shimron, the sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elan, and Jalil. These were the sons Leah bore to Jacob in Padan Aram, besides his daughter Dinah. These sons and daughters of his were thirty-three in all. The sons of Gad, Zephon, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Arodi, and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, and Bariah. Their sister was Sarah. The sons of Bariah, Heber, and Malkiel. These were the children born to Jacob by Zilpah, whom Laban had given to his daughter Leah, sixteen in all. The sons of Jacob's wife Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. In Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. The sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gerah, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupin, Hupim and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 in all. The son of Dan, Hashim, the sons of Naphtali, Jaziel, Guni, Jezer, and Shilem. These were the sons born to Jacob by Bilhah, whom Laban had given to his daughter Rachel, seven in all. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his sons' wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. And the, the second reading is then from chapter 47, which I'm then across on page 53, starting at verse 13. And we'll read uh, to, to verse 31, which is the end of the chapter. So Genesis 47, uh, verse 13. Joseph and the famine. 
There was no food, however, in the whole region, because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan west wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as well? Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a fixed alliance from Pharaoh and had food enough from the alliance Pharaoh gave them. That is why they, they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favour in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147 when the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favour in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his tongue. Let me pray. Father, we just come before you now, and we just ask you for your blessing over this time. We pray that you would speak your word to your people through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're coming to the end of our sermon series uh, in the book of or in the life of Joseph on this Remembrance Sunday. And I want us, before we dive into this text, I want us to remember, to be reminded of the faithfulness 
of God. So I want to summarize my text in this one sentence. Because God is faithful, we must be faith-filled. Because God is faithful, we must be faith-filled. You see, God made a promise to Jacob. And now Jacob is 130 years old and he's going to have to rely on those promises like never before. See, Jacob and his family are heading into the unknown. And it seems as if they will be moving further away from the promises of God as opposed to drawing closer to it. But you see, God's plan is not going to be easy for Jacob or his descendants. And it's the same for us. We believe that God has a wonderful plan for our lives. But it doesn't mean that the road to God fulfilling his purpose and plan for our lives will be easy. But when we understand the direction God wants us to go in our lives, then we have to go. Jesus says no one who puts his hand to the gospel plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Once you put your hand to the plow, keep going. Don't stop. Don't look back. You may have to sit and rest for a while. You may have to Wipe the sweat from the brow of your head. You may have to even weep and cry. But keep going. Because you know that God is faithful. Therefore, we must be faith-filled. Amen. So let's look at our story today. So I broke these passages into three headings. One is what we're going to see is that the faithful God speaks. And secondly, we're going to see that the faithful God provides for his people. And then lastly, I want us to see how the faithful God preserves his people. So let's look at the first point. The faithful God speaks. Chapter 46, verses 1 to 3. Meet me there. It says, so Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in the vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am. He replied, verse three, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Now, to me, this is one of the most significant scenes in the entire Joseph narrative. And here's why. One, because this is the first time we see God speaking since chapter 35. Genesis 35 was when Jacob encountered the presence of the living God and we read that his whole life was changed. And God told him in that moment that you are no longer going to be called Jacob, but you are going to be called Israel. 
Israel would be his covenant name, the name that God is going to give him that will be a guarantee of his promises in his life to make his descendants great and to give him the land of Canaan. But chapters 37 to 44 are what we see as the dark years, right? The years of testing and trials where ironically, God doesn't speak. He's silent. In the moments when Jacob needed to hear God's voice the most, to be assured of his presence and his promise, when his son was being sold off into slavery, and when his family was falling apart, God seemed silent. Even though we know that God was working through the silence, but he wasn't speaking. But in the first few verses, God, of 40, chapter 46, God breaks his silence. And when he speaks, notice what he tells him. He says, Jacob, I want you to pack up all of your belongings, take your entire family and leave the land of Canaan. Now, Jacob could have responded a number of ways, right? He could have said, I'm not going anywhere. Lord, this is the land you promised me. This is the land you've given me by rights and inheritance. I have already settled in this land. No, you tell Jacob to send his tail down here. But remind him to bring food, you know, because we're hungry. He could have responded that way, right? Or he could have left Egypt throwing a fit. Saying, God, why would you tell me to move here in the first place only to have me leave? Why would you promise to give me something only to take it away? I'll go, but I'm not going to be happy. You're not going to have a happy capital on your hand, God. You see, that's not how Jacob responds. You see, Jacob understands and he knows that God is not being arbitrary here. God is not trying to make Jacob's life unnecessarily confusing or complex. See, that's how our sinful and unbelieving nature would interpret this situation if we were in Jacob's position. But God is teaching Jacob a very important lesson here. He is reminding Jacob that faith is a journey. It's not a destination. The land is not the end game for Jacob. It is God himself. If Jacob believed that the land was the quintessential expression of God's promises, he probably would have left. He probably wouldn't have left. However, his journey proves that he has faith in the God of the promises more than he has faith in the promises themselves. You see, when our faith is more in the promises of God rather than in God himself, we risk reducing our relationship with God to a transactional one. 
God then becomes a means to an end rather than an ultimate source of guidance and love and wisdom. So if this defines our relationship with God, if this defines your relationship with God, then we can find ourselves in the situation like Jacob where we have to give up what we believed God promised. And then we'll walk away feeling disappointed and disillusioned. We miss the bigger picture of what it means to be in a trusting relationship with God. Jacob gets it. He moves out. But notice in verse 3, when God speaks to Jacob, he reminds him of his covenantal faithfulness. And we see that in the way that he identifies himself. He says, I am the God of your father. Now, the reason he does this is to remind him before he sets out on his journey that he is the God who was faithful to his fathers. He's saying, Jacob, I was faithful to Abraham. I was faithful to Isaac, and I'm going to be faithful to you. Verse 3, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will be with you. And then he follows up with this rather odd and confusing message in verse 4. See that? He says, I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will bring you back again. And Joseph's own hands will close your eyes. So on the one hand, God is promising Jacob a round trip journey to Egypt. He says, I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you back again. But on the other hand, he assures him that his son Joseph will close his eyes. Now don't miss what's being said here. Because this brief message is pregnant with meaning. God is saying Jacob will die in Egypt, but it is Israel who will return to the land of promise. Jacob's bones will return to Canaan, but Israel, the nation, will flourish and they will be the ones to inherit the land of promise. You see that? God does not tell him what he told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 about the 400 years of oppression that the nation of Israel is going to suffer. In Egypt, he simply tells Jacob that which is most important for him to step out in faith. He gives him this assurance. He says, go, but I will be with you. I am in control. Jacob, you can trust me. I will bring to pass all that I have promised. You see, and this is indeed more than enough for Jacob. 
We read that Jacob, he set out from Beersheba. Beersheba was the very place where Abraham first called on the Lord in Genesis chapter 21. It was also the place where God visited Isaac to reaffirm his covenant promises to him, to let him know that he was going to be with him until the very end. And Beersheba is the very same place that now Jacob finds himself in, where he is also encountering the presence of the living God and God is telling him I am with you and he leaves the faithful God speaks and when he speaks Jacob filled with faith he goes now let's see how the faithful God provides for his people Now there's a maxim my dad would always use when he would say that where the Lord guides, he provides. My wife and I, we've often found ourselves in seasons where we were picking up and moving and it would always create anxiety. And my dad would say, son, where the Lord guides, he provides. And that's what we see in this genealogy. Chapter 46, eight, verses 8 to 25, and then we see this in the rest of chapter 47. What we see is that the faithful God provides. The first thing we see that God provides is offspring. Look at verses 8 to 25. Now, I'm not going to read all these names again. I, I think coming behind Johnny, I'll just mess it all up. But I want you to see that in these verses that we see that God, that Jacob brought all of his offspring to Egypt with him. No one stayed behind. This is the entire nation of Israel in its embryonic state. All the sons and daughters of the 11 tribes, numbering seven in all, they all made the trek to Egypt. Now just think about this. Abraham and Sarah, who were the original recipients of the promise that Jacob inherited, a couple who were beyond any hope of having children, now they have 70 descendants. God provides. And then the second thing we see God provided for his people in Egypt was land. Joseph's words to his brothers in chapter 46, verse 33, it reads, When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock since we were kids, just like our fathers did. In other words, tell them that you're shepherds. Then you will all be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable. To Egyptians. Now I want to draw your attention to why it was so important for Jacob and his sons to be clear on the fact that they were shepherds. See, notice how many times shepherds was emphasized in verses or in chapter 46 and 47. In chapter 46, verse 32, we, we read that the men are shepherds. 46, 34. All shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. And then chapter 47, verse 3 reads, Your servants are shepherds. Now this shepherd theme is important because it 
speaks to how God provides for his people. And Jacob makes that clear in chapter 48, verse 15, as he's coming to the end of his life. He refers to God as the one who has been his shepherd. He says, all my life, God has shepherded me. He has provided for me. But this is also significant because by this family being shepherds, that meant that they would not be they, that they would they would be allowed to live separate lives, isolated lives from that of the Egyptians, which meant that God would be protecting his people's identity as a holy people set apart from himself. The fact that they were shepherds and the Egyptians didn't like shepherds meant that by them being in Goshen, God would be protecting them from the cultural and religious practices of the Egyptians. He would be protecting their identity as his holy people. But also this theme of shepherd is important Because it foreshadows how God will provide salvation for his people. It was Vody Barkham, pastor and theologian, who highlighted this for me in his book, Joseph in the Coat of Many Colors, when he says, when you look at how God provides salvation for his people, it's often through shepherds. Moses, who led Israel out of slavery, was a shepherd in Midian before shepherding Israel. King David was a shepherd before he shepherded Israel and he fought Israel's battles and won victories for them. God refers to himself as a shepherd. And the most important and cherished image that we have of God is found in Psalm 23 that says, The Lord is my shepherd. Eventually, the shepherd things finds its culmination in Christ. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He feeds them. He provides for them. And he rescues them. He gives them salvation. Hence the idea that Israel is set apart because of their role as shepherd in this text is not to be overlooked because it is no small thing. And then the third thing we see God providing for his people is employment. Look at verses 47 and 6. It says, the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father, your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special abilities, put them in charge of my own livestock. In other words... Look, your brothers, they can stay in Goshen, look after my livestock. And if any of them are looking for a job, let them know. I got a bunch of livestock here that needs looking after. Despite the economic peril of the time, we see God providing economic stability for Jacob and his family. So we see three ways God provided for his people. He provided them with offspring. 
He provided them with land. He provided them with employment. Which brings me to the last point of the sermon where we see how the faithful God then preserves His people. It was the psalmist who said in Psalm 119.50 that my comfort in my suffering is knowing that your promises preserves my life. And that's what we see in our last and final point here. Look at verses 47 to 13. It says, There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. So Joseph collected all the money that was used, that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain that they were buying. And he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. So the whole world, Gripped by this famine, we read, is wasting away. But God in his providence has Joseph in a position where he comes up with a plan to not only save the nations, but to also preserve his people, his chosen people. Notice how Joseph effectively manages this famine crisis starts by initiating a program where people can exchange their livestock and land for food, ensuring the survival of many during this famine. Verse 16, he says, Then bring your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and their donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. But after that year, we read that things got worse. Now people have no money. They have no food, no livestock. All they have is their bodies and their land. And so they tell Joseph in verse 19, Buy us and our land in exchange for food. And we, with our land, will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So in exchange for their service and land, Joseph gives them seeds to plant in their field. And he says in verse 23, you grow your own crops. But whatever you grow, you keep a fifth of it, which is 20% of everything that you grow and then the rest, which is the four, or the rest, or, the, or, or of of the four fifths, or eighty percent of what they make, he says. Now that goes to Pharaoh. But what's going on here, as the rest of the world and the Egyptians are bargaining and, and, and giving their bodies and selling themselves to Pharaoh, benignly so, for food. What do we see happening with the nation of Israel? While the rest of the world is wasting away, we see that God's people are flourishing. 
God's promises are preserving their lives. They're able to buy property because they work for Pharaoh who has a booming livestock business now because everybody then brought him their livestock. All their food is for free being provided for by their big brother Joseph. And not only that, but they're having babies, multiple babies. One baby after the other, they are flourishing. God is blessing them. They are multiplying. They are increasing in number. We see God is fulfilling his promise to his people. and He's allowing them to flourish in hard economic times. Now look, I don't want you walking away thinking that this is the moral of the lesson. That if you trust God, He will make you prosper and flourish in the midst of hard times. Wouldn't we all like that? But that's not the lesson here at all. You see, what we see throughout these 11 chapters of The story of Joseph is that God's promise to provide and to preserve his people are not contingent upon favorable or unfavorable circumstances. It is the grace of God and his faithfulness to provide and to preserve his covenant people no matter the circumstances of their lives. Remember, Jacob and his family went through extremely hard times in earlier chapters, and yet God was still faithful to provide and to preserve his people. Yes, they may be doing well now. They may be prospering now. But in a few chapters later, hardship is going to come again. They're going to be faced with difficulties. But you know what we're going to see? The same faithful God standing by his people, providing for them, preserving them. See, when Jacob left Canaan, his faith was in the God who keeps his promises, not in his circumstances. He knew that Egypt wasn't the final destination for him or his people, but it's where God was taking him. And so he needed to trust and to have faith in God. You see, Jacob had an eternal perspective, and we see that in chapter 47, verse 9. Listen to what he says when he meets Pharaoh for the first time. He says, the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years and they have been hard and few. The Hebrew word that Jacob uses here for pilgrim could also be translated as sojourner or as stranger. What Jacob is talking about is not his temporary stay in Egypt. His soul journey is not given reference to the amount of time he's going to be in Egypt. What Jacob is doing is he's describing the entirety of his life. 
See, Jacob viewed the entirety of his life and the life of his forefathers as temporary time of trials and suffering until they received the promise. In other words, Jacob's perspective was that this world is just a temporary time of suffering. And one of these days, the struggles will be over. And what Jacob is reminding us is that we just need to hold on to God as he holds on to us. No matter the circumstances of our lives. You see, the faithful God will see me through to the end of my pilgrimage, is what Jacob is saying. God is going to see me through to the end of this journey here on earth. He's going to get me to the other side of Jordan. And in the end, I am going to see the God of the promises and I am going to inherit all that God has promised me. Look, you got trials in your life. There's an expiration date on that. If you're going through suffering, if you're going through times of confusion and and, and troubles, look, there's an expiration date on that. There's an expiration date on the anxieties you are suffering. Whether it be internal or whether it be because of the wars that are popping up all around us or whether it's like who's going to lead this country in the next election, There's an expiration date on those anxieties. What we go through here on this earth, this side of eternity, what Jacob is saying here is temporary. We're pilgrims. We're just journeying through church. But whatever we go through this side of eternity, God promises to provide for us. To take care of us. To meet our every need. And that's a promise God makes to those who live by faith. To those who trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You may be in a season of hardship. Where it seems as if God is silent, but remember that God has spoken. The Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be faithful to lead you. He will be faithful to protect you and to provide for you and to preserve your life until the very end. That's His promise to you. And we can trust these promises Because God is faithful. So church, let's be faith-filled. Let me pray. Father, we just come before you and we just want to say thank you for being our good shepherd. Psalmist David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. 
He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.